your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The 3-1. Everett hammers one to left. Back is Bourbon. He's to the wall. And that ball is gone. Griffin Everett with an absolute bomb to left field. And Nebraska's lead swells to 11-0. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, back with another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good weekend. A little wet on Sunday. Kind of a damp day around the state, but hope you are able to get out and have some fun. Saturday was nice, right? Ben McLaughlin got an unex- uh, unscheduled day off yesterday. I bet I bet you would rather have been at the ballpark, though, right? I mean, it would have been nice to see the Huskers finish off a sweep over Northwestern. It was weird. I was like, all day, I felt like I, there was something I was supposed to be doing. I was like, is this, is this normal? Is this feeling normal to be here and just not have to, anything to do with this day off? But, yeah, it was good. It was good to, you know, and, of course, the one day that we had off, it was uh, raining all day, so that yeah. was that was cool, but no, it was it was good to be home and you know just be around the family and uh, yeah, just enjoy some. You know, it wasn't a complete day off because I was sit there and studying the uh, Indiana Michigan game as that thing went by. But yeah, it was just nice to to be at home for a change and and not have any obligations anywhere other than keeping my daughter happy. We will talk to the head baseball coach. We'll bolt his baseball radio show coming up in hour number two. So get your comments, questions ready for him. We'll, uh, we'll talk about this team that currently sits in first place, a game ahead of both of Indiana and Michigan after the weekend results. Huskers did take the first two games of the series, but out of safety concerns, and quite honestly, Northwestern just out of pitching. Uh, game three was called off because of COVID issues within the Wildcat program. They only brought 19 players to Haymarket Park for the weekend series. Only six of those were pitchers. We'll talk to Mike Babcock, Husker historian, writes for Hale Varsity. He'll be with us here in a couple of minutes. He's a huge baseball guy. We'll get his take on Will Bolt's job that he's done here in his second season in Lincoln. Also, Mike, I saw Mike at the spring game, had uh, shared a pizza pizza with Mike uh, before he jumped on the air at the spring game. So we'll talk about what he what he thought of the Huskers on that May 1st clash in the red-white scrimmage. Hour number three, we'll have our weekend rewind, a look back at the last couple of days, and we'll name our weekend winners as well. And the phone line's always open and available for you at 531-500-4686. You can either call us or dial or fire us off a text using our U.S. Cellular text line. Proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers, U.S. Cellular Connecting Husker Nation. Again, 531-500-4686. Let's talk about the, the, the weekend, Ben. We knew, we knew when we got to the ballpark Friday that there was a really good chance there weren't going to be three games. And you can look at this a couple of different ways. Um, Northwestern had not played in the month of May. They had missed their previous two weekends because of COVID issues, contact tracing um, within their program. And, and so they couldn't even field a team the last two weekends. They did. They bust here, by the way. They did get on the bus on Thursday, get to Lincoln and, and got ready to play and had their normal Friday starter out there. Their Saturday starter is out with an injury, not 
COVID-related, but an injury, and openly admitted to Will Bolt on Friday, we, we have six pitchers, and they used two Friday, and they used all the other four on Saturday, so they were out of arms. And I've been asked about it, Ben, quite a bit since Saturday. I got asked a lot about it yesterday, a couple, couple calls today from people going, Again, and we brought this up during the women's basketball season when Michigan State, who was in town, refused to take the court against Amy Williams' squad back in February for a game because they were concerned because Nebraska had played Minnesota a few days before, and Minnesota, after that game, had a couple of positive cases, and Michigan State felt like they weren't safe, even though Nebraska was testing negative for the whole time. We brought this up. When and, and why doesn't forfeit come into this thing? And, you know, I, I, one, I credit Northwestern for coming. I, they, they didn't have to come. If they only had 19 and didn't feel like they could get through the weekend, they could have chosen not to come at all, and that would have wiped out the entire weekend for Nebraska. And they at least put together a team for two games. Nebraska won both games, going away in both games because of the lack of a bullpen for Northwestern. Nebraska really picked on those late any relievers in both Friday nights and Saturday's game to win it. So, on one hand, you credit them for for showing up on the other hand you're kind of like all right not and as i mentioned the the saturday starter for northwestern it wasn't a COVID issue it was an injury and that happens right people have injuries kyle perry's been hurt kobe gomez has been hurt nebraska's still fielding a team and would it have been a bad thing if you had to pitch position players yesterday would it have been bad if your shortstop would have had to throw two innings for you i, I mean i I guess there's ways to it that they could have pieced this thing together and, and played a game, and, yeah, they would have lost. Nebraska would have won. But uh, I guess I'm torn, Ben, on this thing because, I, hey, one, I'm glad they came. I'm glad they showed up where they didn't have enough guys the last two weekends. But, man, I mean, it, because it wasn't all COVID, there's some injury parts in this thing too. Then I, it's if you can't put a team together, isn't that a forfeit? Yeah, I – I've been asked about this a lot too, and I and I think here I have a hard time, you know, coming up with a good answer because um, I think I think people's gut a lot of times of how they feel about this, and you mentioned kind of both ends of the spectrum. I don't know that you're going to persuade a lot of people, um, and, and I and I don't feel like there's very many people that are in the middle ground. I feel like there are a lot, at least the the people that I've talked to or have heard from are either on one of two ends of the spectrum, you know, that they're appreciative that Northwestern came and even gave Nebraska two thirds of their series or like, you know, what you were just saying about it needing to be a forfeit. And, you know, what I, what I think about is when I've thought about it, this is the the conclusion that I've come to. I feel like if, if you were to present this scenario to me this summer in, in, in July, I probably would have been feeling a lot towards the latter. You know, you chose to come here. You chose to play the series. You know, we're not going to cancel a game based on what you do or do not have. You you chose to play the games, and we're going to play the games. However, I will say, though, that a lot of my opinion is influenced by what we went through this fall in football, and that was such a new idea to me and again this is all set by the tone of the big 10 conference that 
institutions could decide whether they wanted to play or not. Um, my opinion really, you know, has kind of changed because we've seen, Greg, we've seen teams take the easy way out and and want to, you know, Minnesota coming here to play football last year when they had, you know, a shell of their roster, you know, you tipped your cat to them. There had to them. There were a lot of other teams that um, said we're not gonna we're not gonna compete on the field because of of what we're missing for COVID. You know, we're just not gonna do that. That really, you know, ha- has changed a little bit of my my thinking on it because I'm I'm glad we got to play some of it because there were times in the fall where we didn't get to play at all, and I'm wonder I'm sitting here wondering go. Why? Why should? Why should you know it be up to the institutions to decide, you know, when they can or cannot compete on the on the football field, or you know, in your case, the basketball floor if you're Michigan State, it, it's just so uh, subjective that it really it really messed with my mind, and so I find myself kind of going back and forth on this to, to Northwestern, you know, from from a c- competition standpoint aside right when you're just looking at this thing as an objective party or maybe not even a sports fan you know you tip your cap to Northwestern and those kids for competing because it's clear that the guys that they threw out there on Saturday um were not were not guys that would normally be pitching in those situations or you know it, it was rough it was it was hard to watch and and you know you wonder okay how would they get through another game but at the same time we're competing for a conference championship here. Like we were losing that game, you know, until the seventh inning. So at that point, I didn't really care what was going on in Northwestern's dugout. We needed to win that game. And and by the end of it, I didn't really care what they did or didn't have on the mound. I wanted us to score as many runs as possible because as you and I were talking between innings, that would have been a, a very crushing loss leaving the ballpark. Had all these circumstances been laid out in front of us and you still lost, um, so, you know, I, I, I guess that's a roundabout way of saying I'm pretty torn about it. I appreciate Spencer Allen and Northwestern for getting on a bus and, and competing, knowing that, you know, they're, they were playing with, you know, 32 cards of a 52 card deck. I appreciate that, but I was kind of left leaving the ballpark on Saturday, wanting, wanting more, um, even though that they, they did not have any arms left. And I guess, the only thing that made me feel better about it is okay if I, if this if this happened to to the Huskers, and we were having to throw guys that you know either hadn't thrown more than five innings all year or this that or the other, how, how would I feel about it? And I think I would probably beg for a little mercy if that were if that was our situation. We were going to play one of those Indiana teams or another top of the league type team when when Nebraska wasn't very good. But at the same time, this is big boy college athletics, and you know. We've seen it plenty of times, Greg. We saw it through five innings when Hank Christie was just kind of taking it to us where weird things happen. And, you know, sometimes the scoreboard doesn't care about what situation the dugouts have. And, you know, that was the case for a lot of Saturday's game. I just, I I guess the root of my puzzlement lays at the feet of the league because the league didn't set aside any mandates for anybody to follow all season long. There should have been minimums agreed upon if you can if you have x number of scholarship athletes available for whatever sport 
then you need to play. And if you choose not to play, then it's got to be a forfeit, right? I mean, I don't know why that's so hard. And where does this end? Does this end this fall? What if you have? What if we're, Nebraska's getting ready to play a football game, Penn, and their opponent has 13 scholarship offensive linemen and three or four are hurt, and two of, them, two of them had the virus, and so you're down to seven, and they go, oh, is, we, can't, we can't play. Okay, okay, it's a no contest. Is, is that what we're going to do? Are we, just, are we in the no contest zone from here on? Or was this year the COVID year and that's it? Or, or can we go back to either you field a team or you, you, you give up, the, you, you take a loss? I, I, don't, I, I would, would love some clarification. Are we going to go back that if you don't field a team when you're scheduled to play, you have to forfeit? I, I really would like an answer on that from somebody. Please, somebody give me an answer. <laughs> I mean – and again, this all, everything that I just said, it all goes back to the fall. And really when we first got that information, right, the, the color coding system, if it's a red, red, you're shut down. Other than that, it's up to the institution. And as soon as one team was starting to be affected by COVID in the league, and I think most people know which team I'm talking about, for them to be able to call the shots based on what they thought and let's not forget that their starting quarterback was right in the middle of it. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so the, and, and a bunch of their coaching staff was right in the middle of it. So then you start weighing and choosing, you know, is it your starting quarterback? Is it your third-string linebacker? Are they weighted the same? Because the answer is absolutely not. They're not weighted the same. You know, one player means more than the other in this circumstance, and that influences coaches' decisions on if they're comfortable playing or not. And, and you, you shouldn't be able to have that much control over it. Um, and you're absolutely right. You know, wh- when does this stop? And unfortunately, as long as this virus is a thing, how can we assume that it's going to be changed in the future? How can you? I mean, we're almost a year through college athletics, and we've heard nothing about it. So how, how, could, you, how could you ever – if somebody on your pro, in your program has COVID – you've got to assume that it's going to fall under that umbrella unless we hear something else from the league, which obviously we haven't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, again, I have sympathy for Northwestern and I do tip my cap that they came and didn't just say, we're not coming. That's three games. You lose. They played the two. But when I heard they had several pitchers out because of injuries, you're going, well, well, that's convenient. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, Nebraska's had to run some guys out there in years past that shouldn't have been on the mound pitching, and, and you do it, and you fight your way through it. How many high school teams, club teams, have to go get the left fielder, bring him in to pitch? you got to throw an inning. How many, how many Ben McLaughlin's growing up go, you got to throw the last thing. we got nobody else left. you got to throw. I mean, isn't that what you do? Isn't yeah. that what we've done forever? Yeah, I mean, it is. And look, I I completely understand both sides of the argument. And I know there were a lot of really upset people. And here's the thing. If if, I'm to the point where if this if this I'm going to have a much bigger stance on this, if this affects Nebraska in the standings, you know, if if this if this game that that gets banged because of of this situation costs us a league title, you better believe I'm going to be feeling a lot different about it than I am right now. And, and it and sure could. Th- this thing could come down to a half a game very easily. Absolutely. And and that and that's where you know the line in the sand is going to be drawn for me is you know if this ends up determining whether we get some hardware in Lincoln or not, or if it gets shipped to Bloomington or Ann Arbor or College Park or wherever else, then I might stand up and say, okay, this is an issue because this deter- this this directly impacted 
you know, who was going to win a conference championship and an automatic berth into a regional and probably Greg better placement into a regional. If yeah. you're, if you're the first place or you're the second or third place team. Yeah. If we're sitting here two weeks from tonight, regular seasons in the books and the Huskers lose the league by a half a game, you will point to the not no contest with Northwestern on Sunday because Nebraska would have been heavy favorites to win and would have been one more win, and that half-game deficit turns into a share for the league title. Folks, I'm telling you, it's something to keep an eye on in the coming weeks. All right, big show coming up. Mike Babcock, Hale Varsity. I'll, I'll get his take on this uh, coming up next segment as well. Get his take about this baseball team, where they're headed, and we'll talk a little spring football with him as well. That's all coming up next. We're back, Sports Highlight, here on a Monday night. Again, our baseball show coming up at the top of the hour. The head coach, Will Bolt, will be here for an entire hour. Get your comments, questions ready for him. But in the interim, none better than Mike Babcock from Hale Varsity, a longtime Husker beat writer, now writes for the fine publication Hale Varsity. Good evening, sir. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, were you disappointed there wasn't baseball yesterday? Yeah, I was disappointed. Uh, you know, when I heard the, the discussion between you and Ben about the whole situation, I, I, uh, I came away thinking, you know, pretty much that, like you said initially, that uh, I was glad that Northwestern came, um, and it, and it and it certainly could impact, you know, at some point uh, down the line, it could impact Nebraska. The one thing that I look at uh, kind of counterbalances that a little bit is that uh, Nebraska has. Two games with Indiana and three with Michigan among the uh, final seven. So you're really in a position to control your own destiny um, regardless of that missed game. And and because of that, I guess I looked at it and, and thought, you know, uh, I, I suppose given the situation, since the Big Ten doesn't put any guidelines in this thing, uh, Northwestern could just not have come. And there would have been uh, two other games that Nebraska wouldn't have had. So uh, I was glad that they came. I thought uh, Coach Bolt uh, was very classy in, in uh, the way he, he handled it. He probably had some idea that it wasn't going to happen. They weren't going to get all three games in. But uh, um, you guys uh, certainly covered the, the possibilities, and there was good reason for frustration among the fans. Just need They need a policy. Mike, the, the league needs to set some kind of policies and, and some kind of standards. And I, they've, they've botched this for an entire school year, not just baseball, the way they've handled football and men's and women's, all the sports, that there weren't some guidelines that, okay, if you can feel this many scholarship athletes, you need to play. But they just opted not, for whatever reason, not to do it. Other conferences did. Other conferences set standards and said, if you can meet these, then you need to play. Well, uh, yeah, and Greg, and, and you, you guys have talked about this, but – um, why is there no Big Ten baseball tournament? Why is there no Big Ten softball tournament? Uh, I, don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand, you know, to be honest with you, I, I'm not sure why there there wasn't some provision made for some non-conference midweek games. I, I just It just seems like uh, w- without taking some kind of a leadership role in, in those areas, uh, the Big Ten just sort of hamstrung baseball and softball and and uh, other sports in other ways, but certainly those two sports. Absolutely. All right, uh, last time I saw you was before the spring game, and, and, and you and I were talking about the baseball team. They had lost the Friday game to Rutgers. They ended up losing that entire series. 
Um, what about the bounce back from this team? That Since that weekend of disaster at home against Rutgers, they have responded. Your thoughts about what, what Will has done with his team to this point? Well, I think that he's, uh, you know, that this team incorporates his attitude as a player. You know, that gritty beats pretty, you know, that's the way he played. That's the way he uh, established himself uh, as a Husker. And, and that, you know, really reflected the success that the, the teams on which he played uh, had, I think, had that because I think that was something that uh, Dave Van Horn coached. Um, I think this team has it. I don't think it's just something that he talks about. I think they really do. And so I think that uh, this team can lose three games to Rutgers um, and can come back and scrap and scuffle and, and uh, be successful. And, you know, it was like the uh, like the Saturday's game against Northwestern. I mean, it, it uh, things weren't looking too good there. Um, and uh, Chance Roach, you know, didn't have a great start. Uh, Bolt said that, but he scuffled. You know, he got through uh, four and two-thirds innings. He put him in a position. He only gave up two runs. Uh, he just that That's just the way they've played all year. And, and you know, it, here's another example. You know, he, he stayed with some guys. Bryce Matthews. Bryce Matthews has driven in 25 runs. He's played in 27 games. <laughs> um, he, he had a tough go there early in the season, but they stayed with him and and look what he look at how he's producing now. Um, it's just really one through nine, gritty beats pretty, all the things that that come off the tongue easily, but there's meaning behind these things, and I think that that's what that's why they were able to respond after after losing those games at home to Rutgers. He. Um... He, you're right. He certainly put his imprint on this team. How much did it help him? And I think he's even admitted this that he inherited some guys that were kind of that way. I mean, Schwellenbach and Acker and Hallmark. Those were those were Erstad guys. Roscom. Those were Erstad guys that seemed to transition pretty nicely into what Will Bolt wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. You got the kind. Of, you got the leadership at the top. I mean, Mojo Haggy's another one of those guys, and Mojo hasn't played a lot. Probably maybe not even as much as he might have expected, um, deciding to come back for another year. But he's, you know, when he has played, he's he's done things to be successful. And uh, obviously his attitude, I, again, I think the attitude across the board is really good. Uh, Gunnar Hellstrom has not played much, but when he's gotten opportunities, he's done some things. He's responded, and, you know, I just think that that's uh, – that, that Bolt has taken players that were carryover and he's recruited and brought in guys and there's a great mix there and I really think that the chemistry has, with this team is is good and you know maybe in some ways the pandemic helped that you know maybe that just being around each other all the time uh, has been one of the bonding things that has that has made this team successful yeah, you you love the sport of baseball. Uh, you and I have had many many talks about baseball down through the years. How much do you appreciate the way this team plays defense? The way they they kind of cover the fundamentals of the sport. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate. It. You're right. You're right, Greg. I mean, if if it was up to me, I think most games would be one to nothing or three to two. I mean, <laughs> I, I like those kinds of games um, where it's defense and pitching. Uh, I, I just like the the the, uh, 
the sense of that, you know, watching a game like that. And, and Nebraska's defense has been one of the things that, again, it's part of those. It's part of that. You know, it's it's not that glamorous. Um, you know, home runs and and all that sort of thing. And they've hit some home runs, um, but uh, uh, you, you've got to do the fundamental things to be successful. And uh, you know, moving runners around, getting on base any way you can. Um, those kinds of things and playing defense that's important and again that's characteristic of of the way Will Bull played and that's what he has inculcated in this team do you think what what assess for me Spencer Schwellenbach's professional chances I mean you you've covered this team and seen the Gordons the Erstads make their way through here does Schwellenbach does he look like a big league guy to you what do you what do you think he he will do in professional baseball you know, I kept thinking, yeah, I, I think he's going to have a shot because, you know, his velocity on his fastball when he wants to, um, and he mixes up his pitches pretty well. And I thought, well, you know, that's probably going to be what it is. But then, but, and listening to Coach Bolt, Coach Bolt talk about him uh, as as a shortstop and, and where, he, where he might rank in a percentage basis uh, as a shortstop, and then lo- watching his arm, seeing him throw, um, I think it's going to be a possibility. He, it's going to be an either-or thing for him, because I think that he really does have the arm to be a to, to be a big league shortstop. Now, there's also been talk maybe he could be a third baseman. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure where in the infield he he might fit. Probably on the left side somewhere. But uh, you know, as the season goes on and I see him playing shortstop, I think yeah, this this guy might have a shot there too. But I but I've always thought that. You know, maybe uh, he's going to get uh, some look as, as a pitcher because of that velocity. You don't see very many guys that can get the velocity that he has uh, at the collegiate level. Yeah, I've sure enjoyed watching his uh, three-year career. Sorry that it's probably coming to a rapid close because that draft in July, he's going to he's going to get picked and picked pretty high. Need to sneak in a football question or two. I mentioned last time I bumped into you again. We're visiting with Mike Babcock of Hale Varsity. Uh, was right before the spring game. What, what were your observations? What stood out to you as you watched that uh, that scrimmage take place a few weeks ago? Well, you know, Greg, I, I probably said it then, and I, I'll say it again. I, I always say this. It's kind of become a cliche with me. But, you know, spring spring practice to me has always been a time for young guys and new guys to step in there, and it's a time of optimism. You know, you can things can look as good as you want them to be. Uh, uh, in the spring because it's all potential and, and so forth. But um, and, and that's probably in the spring game. That's probably the, the thing that, that I always take away the most is see some of these young guys, Toure, uh, Manning finally getting on the field, getting an opportunity. I like to see him, Oliver Martin, um, you know, the running backs, Yant, Irving, Irvin, uh, uh, and then uh, Marvin Scott. You know, there were a lot of injuries, so you didn't get to see some guys. Uh, that you would that you would have liked to have seen, but um, I, I like to see the young, skilled position players, Harburg, um, get out there and have an opportunity to do some things. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm running off a bunch of offensive guys, defense too. And for me, it it all starts with the offensive line. Um, that's where it's going to be important, uh, I think, come fall for the offense. Um, and you look like you've got something good going there. And defensively, you look like you've got the experience. You know that that backfield. You got uh, three guys coming back, um, and and you got all the uh, all the guys uh, up front coming back. Um, it, there's just reason for optimism, and I think that's what the spring game uh, provides you. Is boy, this is 
optimistic. You know, things really look good today, um, and you don't want uh, one side or the other to look too good uh, because <laughs> it's going to be at the expense of the other. So, Absolutely. All right, what are you working on? Are you guys going to produce your yearbook this summer? What's what's in the, in the future for Hale Varsity? Yeah, yeah, we're going to the – we're working on the yearbook right now and we're working on the May issue, which uh, comes out this week. But, uh, um, yeah, the yearbook, I've, I've tried to put together something on the 71 team. Um, the defense, you know, everybody talks about the offense, certainly with uh, Johnny Rogers and Jerry Taggy and Jeff Kenny and and uh, and so forth. But the, that was really a that was quite the defense in '71. So I'm going to try to write something a little bit that focuses on the on the defense from 1971. But yeah, we've got a lot of a lot of pretty good stuff coming uh, in the yearbook, putting that together right now. Rich Glover remains to this day a lot of people's favorite Husker of all time. He was terrific. Wasn't uh, 22 tackles in the game of the century against all Big 8 center Tom Brahaney. Um, and, you know, he, he, he'd been a tackle, and they finally decided, well, you know, maybe he'd be a little bit better at middle guard. And uh, he was a little bit better at middle guard enough to win an Outland, a Lombardi, uh, two, two-time consensus All-American. Uh, quite the ball player, uh, no question about that. But, you know, Willie Harper, he gets overlooked, yeah. uh, two-time All-American on defense. Larry Jacobson, Nebraska's first Allen Trophy winner in 71. Um, there was some Bob Terrio. Uh, there were some pretty good uh, pretty good guys on that defense. Jerry Murtaugh is yelling at us right now. Was he on the 71 team or was he gone by 71? Yeah, he was senior in 70. He was a 70. co-captain in 70. He was one of the uh, – he and Dan Snice got to uh, yeah. uh, be up on stage with uh, – President Nixon to get the uh, championship award at the Coliseum after the uh, after the seventy season. Very good. Well, we'll look forward to that. Uh, yearbook usually comes out what early June is that the estimated time of arrival? Yeah, yeah, I think uh, mid June probably. Uh, okay. We'll have that thing ready to go. Fantastic, Mike. As always, great to catch up. Good to see you, and let's hope this baseball season continues to give us some thrills. Hey, thanks for having me involved. Keep up the good work. Tonight, it's the Nebraska Baseball Show, right here on the Husker Sports Network. The 3-1. Everett hammers one to left. Back is Bourbon. He's to the wall. And that ball is gone. Griffin Everett with an absolute bomb to left field. And Nebraska's lead swells to 11-0. An in-depth look at the Nebraska baseball program. Lepra's pitch. Acker swings and gets one through the right side into right field. It's a base hit. Anderson scores. Here comes Chick to score. And the Huskers have taken the lead. It's another two-run single off the bat of Joe Acker. And it's 7-5, Nebraska. With the head coach, Will Bolt. First pitch to Roscom. Drill to center field. Going back is David Dunn racing to the track, looking up, and it is gone. Home run, Luke Roscom to dead center field. Increasing Nebraska's lead to 9-5. to five. Sponsored in part by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit online at yourmidwestforddealers.com. Now here's your host of the Nebraska Baseball Radio Show, the voice of the Huskers, Greg Sharp. Thank you. Welcome to our weekly sit-down with the head coach of the Cornhuskers, Will Bolt. If you want to be a part of the program, 531 500 4686. That is our Sports Nightly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. That number also doubles up as our text line, so if that's easier for you, 
fire away on that. Well, Coach, congratulations. You take both games for Northwestern over the weekend, and they made you work for both of those, but uh, they both ended up in the win column for you. Congrats. Yeah, I appreciate it. No, they, uh, you know, Spencer Allen is a, I really respect him as a coach and, and the job that he's done and, um, you know, just you know, coming in shorthanded and the way his guys competed. Um, they certainly gave us, you know, everything we could handle, but uh, it was good to see our boys respond and uh, and end up getting the, the victory. Thought Cade Povich was just in total command of the Friday game. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, same. I thought he was uh, very, very determined. Uh, just what we've seen from him when he kind of has that look um, and that attack on the mound, it's, it's just stuff just plays up. Um, even even better than it than it normally does, and even better than it normally is. It's just the the mentality um, you know that he brought to the field. Um, honestly, the last two starts, uh, the shortened start we saw there um, against Indiana um, at Rutgers, and and this weekend just backing that up. Um, and not to say that he's not always competitive, because he because Kate is very very competitive, but just really liked um, just that extra gear that he seemed to get uh, just having. Uh, even even more of that killer instinct on the mound. I thought he was really, really good. The, the fastball velocity uh, was probably as good as it's been in weeks, which is a great sign this, this time of the year especially. Um, and, you know, when he did get base runners on, he picked two guys off. So he, he more than held his own and, and uh, set a great tone for us. You know, Doherty, the starter for Northwestern in that Friday game, kind of kept you off balance, I thought, for about four innings. And then you kind of locked in. He got to the end of his line, and, and you took advantage of their bullpen. What was he doing to kind of keep you off balance, and then what did what did the guys do to adjust to finally get after him? Well, I, I honestly felt like his defense really helped him out early in that game. Um, the first time through the order, we had we were on the barrel five times, um, so you know it wasn't necessarily that um, we weren't taking good swings. Uh, they just they were they made some really good defensive plays behind him. I felt like and, and kept us. He's a strike thrower, you know, so he's not going to give you much in terms of walks or hit batters or that, or that type of stuff. But um, so you you couple that uh, with you know playing good defense behind him, uh, just was able to keep us off the board. I mean, we did did get the two out um, double from Matthews early in that game. And, um, you know, like you said, it, we, it took us a little bit to really crack open uh, the scoring uh, in terms of just kind of our, our patented uh, big innings. But I felt like it was just probably more a, a byproduct of uh, finding some holes, uh, you know, and just putting a little bit of pressure on him that way and, and getting him in the stretch um, a little bit more. But there's a reason that he's, he came into it with a, an ERA under three is because he's, he's a, you know, guy that just, he's not going to beat himself. He's got a little movement uh, on the fastball, uh, good change up. And, uh, you know, just kind of throws all those pitches and, and, and uh, he can throw them all and, and hitters counts if he wants to. So um, just thought it was a, a good job by us of just staying, staying with it um, when we didn't have the results early and just continue to take good swings and it, and it paid off. Similar thing for Saturday's game, and I don't, I don't think that the Northwestern Saturday starter had it was near as good a pitcher as Doherty, their Friday guy, but he did a nice job. And then finally, at seventh inning, it was like a switch flip for the Huskers. What about that matchup? Yeah, I, I would say um, certainly in that game, we did not come out uh, <clears throat> with the same competitiveness, I didn't feel like, offensively. 
although we did load the bases uh, with one out there in the first, we just weren't able to cash in, and I wasn't real, wasn't real th- thrilled with our at-bats um, in those spots, just kind of getting uh, chasing uh, a little bit more than, than um, you know, you're accustomed to seeing there. But so, uh, you know, he give, their, give him credit. He, he did keep us off balance. It was just a different look, you know. I mean, the velocity – um, he was basically throwing cutters at the plate um, for, you know, the whole game and just something a little bit different, um, maybe just a little bit of a different look. But didn't feel like it, it, the first three innings of that game, I, where, I, where as I would say on Friday, we were pretty locked in even when we weren't getting results. I didn't think we were real locked in for the first three innings. Um, and I felt like from the, about the fourth inning on, we were much better. Uh, and that led to, you know, having some success there with a couple crooked numbers in the middle and the late part of the game. Um, so, you know, it was, again, that's why you play nine innings. That's why, um, you know, you, you just keep coming. Um, we've seen games, of course, where we score early and then just kind of, you know, not added on. So um, we, we responded when we needed to at the back half of that game and, um, you know, we ended up finishing out the right way. All right, and then no Sunday game, and we certainly have talked about this a lot already tonight before your hour began, and I'm sure you've been asked about it since Saturday. Uh, take us through. Why, why no game? Why no forfeit? Because I think that's, that's what comes to some fans' mind. Why doesn't that just go down as a win for the Oscars <clears throat> if the other team can't field a team? Yeah, I, I can't really answer that. I, I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I guess the only way to answer that is that's, kind of how it's been handled um this year and all the sports uh if it was if it's a health and safety um issue uh with the teams uh, and it is covid related um that's just kind of how it's been handled so um the game would have had to have been stopped um in the middle of a game uh to for it to be a forfeit is the way I understand it. And if it's canceled ahead of time, um, and again, it's a health and safety issue and, um, you know, they, you got to give Northwestern credit for, you know, for showing up. I mean, they had 19 players and, you know, we knew they were going to be short staffed. I didn't know the exact number of arms. I knew it was probably six or seven uh, arms that they had available. Um, And then when we got through the first two games and they'd use, use six pitchers, it was kind of like, you know, almost like a foregone conclusion there that, you know, we're just not going to have, you know, the guys necessary to, to finish this thing out. So, um, you know, uh, again, I give, I give coach Allen and his, you know, staff credit for, they wanted to play and we knew that it may not be a, a full series. Um, but we felt like certainly that playing at least a couple of games uh, was going to be better than not playing at all. So, um, and ultimately that's, that's the, what it boiled down to. Very good. All right, that question came from Randall in Sydney. The Nebraska Baseball Show brought to you by your Midwest Ford dealers. Visit us at buyfordnow.com. Back on our text line, Zach and Lincoln, Coach, uh, looking towards the future and non-conference schedules, can we expect to see the same tough non-conference that we have seen in the past and maybe hosting some of those top teams here in Lincoln? Yeah, I mean, I think we're certainly going to um, continue to schedule aggressively uh, when it comes to trying to go get those uh, good RPI games where you play against good teams, and and not just for their RPI purposes, but also for to get your teams battle tested and ready. I think there is a pretty fine line there too of uh, overloading uh, with with difficult opponents. Um, 
and, and you know, trying to mix and match here and there. But, you know, the, these schedules at times are done, you know, multiple years in advance. So you don't really know exactly um, the way it's going to play out at times with it. But, yeah, we're going to continue to schedule aggressively to to play some true road games early um, against good opponents where, um, you know, you're you're battle testing your team and you're, you're creating that resume uh, for your team. And also some tournaments. I think tournaments are – a good way to um, play multiple teams from different conferences and, uh, and get some, some good RPI points that way as well. But, um, and yeah, I mean, the, the more teams that you can have at home, uh, you know, the better uh, for us. We, we'd love to be able to have some home and homes with some teams uh, where we can have them return a trip and, and uh, you know, play, play in our beautiful ballpark. Two-parter to kind of follow that up. Is most of next year's schedule done? That'd be part one and part two. Do you know your league schedule? Because the league always gives you a bye week somewhere in there where you can slip in a non-conference series sometimes in April or May. Do you have that information? Uh, We do have, uh, I mean, at least the the schedules uh, several years in advance with the conference. good. good. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what that, if that's going to remain the same based on this year being totally different. You know, I mean, do we do we I, honestly? I can say this with 100 percent honesty. I haven't even looked at next year's conference schedule uh, to know whether there's like repeat trips in there, like you know, and those type of things. So I, I think they'll probably revisit that potentially. Um, I think the whole thing will potentially be revisited. I mean, um, you know, do we play more than 24 not uh, I'm sorry, 24 conference games next year? Um, do we stick with some four game series in there? I don't I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that may be on the table. Um, <clears throat> so we'll just kind of have to to see what happens uh, with that um, after the season. Do you have a preference for how many conference games you want to play? I wouldn't say I necessarily have a strong opinion on it. I, I do feel like with only 24 conference games at times, you, you may run into some years where you, you know, I mean, you, you don't play four different opponents. Um, it, it becomes a bit unbalanced um, that way. Um, but also knowing full well that weather plays a big part in that. You, you can only start so early. Um, you know, you would probably have to run into – a scenario where we did this year where you end up, if you wanted to play more conference games that maybe you play uh, the conference games uh, earlier in the, like early March, you play them at, at a neutral site where it's warmer um, like we did this year. So I, you know, I, I, I think I would be in favor of probably playing uh, a few more conference games just to have a, uh, a better barometer on a true champion where you don't just, you don't miss four teams. Um, but also knowing that there's other things that play there as well. Um, so, you know, we'll just kind of, again, we'll just kind of see what next year gives us, uh, what the last year and a half, two years have have shown us is to be patient and flexible and just kind of roll with it. Bob and Lincoln on our text line for you coach says, I like seeing Logan Foster in the lineup, but was wondering why Joe Acker is only DHing. Is it due to an injury? Um, no, not really. Joe's, um, just kind of trying to take care of the old man, honestly. Um, you know, the super senior, the guy that, uh, you know, he, we, he's one of the old elder statesmen on the team. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he did have an off season knee surgery. Um, not, he's not hurt. No, he is, he's a hundred percent healthy. Um, it was kind of a way for us to, <clears throat> to get Logan in there. He's shown some good things and, um, 
you know, give, give Joe's legs a break a little bit too. Uh, just, you know, with a long season and, and that type of stuff. So, uh, no, Joe is totally fine. Um, you know, Logan, uh, like I said, showed some things to, to get back in there. And, you know, we made, I think it was two or three games ago that we uh, made that uh, lineup change uh, with Joe. And I think he started swinging the bat well and on the barrel a lot. And, and we won. And so, you know, coaches are creatures of habit too. <laughs> we, we like to play the winning combinations at times, especially this time of year when uh, every game's so important. Very good. Eric and Lincoln on our text line. Hey, Coach, when I saw the team huddled up in the dugout early in the game for a pep talk, my mood suddenly changed and knew something good would happen eventually. Was that more of a wake-up call to the guys? It was. Uh, you know, from time I, from time to time, you just have to kind of re um, refocus uh, and just hit the reset button and say, look, you know, this is where we are right now this is where we need to get to, uh, to have the success that we want to have. And it really, the, I could sense a little bit of um, some guys maybe pressing um, in that game. You know, it's one of those games where, you know, everybody expects you to win. They, you know, you're shorthanded, uh, the other opponent's shorthanded. Um, you know, we've got everything to play for. And, and, and it just the game at the beginning of that game just hadn't gone our way. And I just was a reminder to the team of look, look, let's not let's not get out of who we are because of the score and the situation. Let's make sure that we're giving each other our competitive best and and just and just let it let it rip, just let it you know let it fly. Let's let's not let's not make it more than it is. And um, you know we'll look up at the end of nine innings, and I think we'll like the results if we do that. And um, and I felt guys just you know go to the plate with just you know maybe not gripping it quite as tight and. Um, you know, same thing on defense, just being a little bit more focused. So um, just, just sometimes in the course of a game, just make a little uh, adjustment uh, with, the, with the focus, and it was good to see our guys respond. Here we are back for Hour 3 Sports Outlet here on a Monday night. Going to have our weekend rewind here in a couple of minutes and our weekend winners later on in the hour. We also have some time for some calls, 531-500-4686. Hope you enjoyed hearing from the head ball coach last hour. I know you always do, Ben McLaughlin, hearing from him and uh, laying it out. What's going to be a fun, fun couple of weeks ahead for Husker baseball? Yeah, buckle up. I mean, this is where this is where the uh, you know this is what you work for all season long, right? The tail end of the season into the postseason. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be nice to find out what the boys are made of here at the end of the year. And I know coach is probably looking forward to that as well. Absolutely. It gets going Friday night, 7 o'clock, first pitch, Huskers and Hoosiers. They will play Indiana Friday night, Ohio State at noon Saturday, Saturday night, Indiana, and then noon again on Sunday for Ohio State. So four games in a fairly short amount of time. It'll be quick turnaround times for the guys, but no school during the week, so they can just concentrate and think about baseball all weekend long. All right, let's get the hour underway with the Rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Second down, 20, 5.03 to go. Someone has run on the field. Some guy with a brawl. And now he's not being chased. He's running down the middle of the 40. Arms in the air and a victory salute. He's pulling down his pants. Put up your pants, my man. Pull up those pants. He's being chased to the 30. He breaks a tackle from a security guard. The 20, down the middle, the 10, the 5. He slides at the 1, and they converge on him at the goal line. 
Pull up your pants, take off the bra, and be a man. Isaiah, shot clock third go. Game clock at eight. He's going to do it himself. Thomas, shake, crossover, step back. And the buzzer, yes, safe. And Washington wins it. On a last second, Jay Cole. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. That's right, Weekend Rewind time. Sadly, uh, at least one, at least a couple of these sports will be the last time for Nebraska Athletics. A couple of these sports will still be going after this weekend. Of course, we just heard from Husker head baseball coach Will Bolt. And the Nebraska baseball team has a busy couple of weeks, as we just talked about to start the hour. Of course, Nebraska at home against the Northwestern Wildcats this last weekend. Friday, Huskers cruised to a 12-2 win thanks to some late-inning heroics. Northwestern had Nebraska in knots for most of the day on Saturday, but then the Big Red do what they constantly do, put pressure on defenses until Nebraska finally grabbed the lead that they did not surrender. Leprous pitch. Acker swings and gets one through the right side into right field. It's a base hit. Anderson scores. Here comes Chick to score. And the Huskers have taken the lead. It's another two-run single off the bat of Joe Acker. And it's 7-5 Nebraska. Joe had a couple of big hits. Greg had a two-run single on Friday, two-run single on Saturday. That one right there gave the Huskers the lead. Um, But, you know, two games, needed two wins, got two wins. A feeling you have after watching those last two at Haymarket Park. A little concerned on the Saturday game. We, we talked about how there was kind of a sleepy feel for the team, and even Will Bolt last hour said he didn't think the first three innings, he didn't think guys were locked in mentally, defensively, or offensively, but he thought after that they kind of found their stride a little bit. It, hey, it's hard. You know you're playing a team that's not at full strength. You know that in the back of your mind, even though you try to convince yourself can't let that factor into it. It does. And they will be ramped up for this week. I, that, I'm not worried about that. So check. They got the job done. Get the two wins. Now get ready for a huge weekend. Wanted to see a couple of guys get going offensively, and one of those guys really showed out this weekend. That's freshman Max Anderson. Uh, ran in some really tough luck there for a while, but, man, he put together a really nice weekend at the plate. He did. Both freshmen really did. Matthews and Anderson had great weekends at the plate for Nebraska. Guys that I'm a little nervous about right now, and you and I mentioned it on the broadcast, I think it was Saturday. Cam Chick, I'd like to see him start getting in, starting to barrel up some more balls. Um, we need him. We need Cam to be at his, his best if we're going to be beating the Indianas and the Michigans coming down the stretch here. Sure do. Uh, it was nice to see Schwelly get one out of the park, too. You know, he had been scuffling just a bit at the plate got one out of there big moment for the Huskers I think it was in the fifth inning for him to uh, to just get some momentum on their side so Nebraska baseball on the road with the pod in Bloomington Bloomington taking on Indiana and Ohio State Nebraska baseball wasn't the only team battling Northwestern this weekend Ronda Ravel's softball team battling the Wildcats in Evanston unfortunately for the Huskers uh, they fall three games to one in the series. They uh, lose a tough one uh, yesterday, six to five, and sees their season come to a close. Twenty-two and twenty-two overall record. 
selection show last night. Huskers obviously weren't selected for a regional this year. Uh, thoughts as the Husker softball season comes to a close. Yeah, I've been trying to. Th- I've thought about this a lot in the last 24 hours. What what to make of this season? I think if you go back before it started and you said, okay, you're playing 44 games like the baseball guys are, would you take 500? And I, with having an All-American like Edwards and some good young players like they felt like they've, they've got in this program, I think they'd be a little disappointed. And the way they kind of ended, Ben, I mean, they you mentioned three out of four on the downside this weekend, it was three out of four on the downside last weekend as well. So it's two and six to end it. So they were above 500 going into the last two weeks of the season. I don't know that I thought they'd be an NCAA tournament team, but I thought they might knock on the door of it. Well, they didn't get to that. They, they finished eighth in the league. I, I don't I don't know. I'm puzzled by what to make of Nebraska softball. You, you've had several conversations with the coach, and we, we are all big fans of Rhonda. Uh, really big fans of her and, and what she's done with this Husker program, but no NCAA appearances since 2016. I, I, I'm just a little lost right now on what, what I make of, of Husker softball. Well, and the tough part is you lose the, you know, the heart and soul of your team in Tristan Edwards, who, uh, what a way to finish your career, by the way, homered in her last at bat as a Husker. That's pretty cool. She just had a remarkable career and I think this is going to do it for the Edwards sisters, unfortunately. You know, you think back to Tatum and Taylor and what great careers that they had, and obviously Tristan following it up too, you know, with her magnificent Husker career. But, um, yeah, tough tough deal, and, you know, we'll see kind of what the next chapter of Husker softball holds next what, February. Do you, do you remember, can you think back to what you thought in February? Did you, did you kind of anticipate maybe more than 22 and 22? I thought they'd be five, six games up of 500. But. Well, I think the big the big curiosity for me was what their pitching would look like. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, very hit and miss so far this year. And, you know, it's tough. It's tough if you don't – I mean, the softball is so much different than baseball where you don't have, you know, the depth and the rotation or with just the arms. And so that's a difficult season to navigate, throwing four games every weekend for a pitching staff. Everybody had to do it. I get that. Yeah. But um, I think if you didn't have a deep pitching staff, you were exposed this year. And I thought Nebraska at least – from what I expected out of them this year, hung in there at least all right in in the circle. But, you know, to take that next step, you've got to be a little better than all right, as we're finding out. So 22-22 and 22 for Ronda Ravel's squad, and they'll turn the page uh, to next season in 2022. Track and field had their Big Ten outdoor championships in Champaign this last weekend. The men's team finished fourth. The women's team finished ninth. Um, you know, when you look at the, the track and field results, I know this is always, um, you know, the outdoors always something that we pay attention to and, you know, with the championships there and uh, the men finishing fourth in the league this year. Yeah, I think, you know, I think they felt like to, to win it, they were going to have to have a lot of things go their way. So I don't know that, that even Gary Pepin would be surprised that they didn't win it on the men's side. I, he might be slightly disappointed with the fourth. The women have just had all kinds of injuries situations and, and and finishing eighth i know gary pepin's not happy with that he's he kind of judges what kind of year he has on whether they hang a banner on the, either the men's or the women's side and, and they didn't this year in either the indoor or the outdoor so I, I overall he's probably not overly pleased but this again was such an odd year training schedules were tweaked and changed and so um yeah i 
Probably just a little sh- a shade of disappointment for him coming out of the, of the weekend events in Champaign. So track and field done with the Big Ten outdoors, and Nebraska women's golf wrapped up their season at the Columbus Regional this weekend. Puts, uh, puts, a, puts a bow on an exciting end to a, a season for Nebraska women's golf. So well, One um, last thing before we get too yep. far away from it. Your thoughts about the Big Ten getting the three bids in softball and what that might foreshadow for baseball in a couple of weeks. I really don't think it, it, it swayed my opinion at all. I mean, I think the only thing that we that we may have learned, if you, if you followed baseball at all this year, um, you know, particularly in the last few months, you know that the that the team projections have always kind of been what you expected. I, and I think the Big Ten starting to get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, at least on the baseball side. The only thing we, we really learned from the softball aspect that the Big Ten may get punished for from the committee is the seeding. I think a lot of people expected a 26-6 and six Michigan team to get a host, um, yeah. you know, or at least, you know, a lot better draw than they did. Uh, in, in the in the regional that they did, but the three Big Ten teams I felt were were you know worthy of a spot, got a spot. I don't think this isn't all of a sudden going to turn the Big Ten baseball, which I, I've been hearing the last 24 hours uh, by some people, that now all of a sudden that that the Big Ten baseball is only going to get one team in, and it's going to be automatic qualifier. Not true. It's not going to happen. There's going to be you know in my opinion at least four, potentially five, depending on how Iowa finishes. So I wouldn't read too much into it. I think everything's gone. You know, there, there wasn't anything earth-shattering in there that happened except for maybe the, where the seeds fell um, in the softball. So I wouldn't panic if you're a, you know, Husker baseball fan or a Big Ten baseball fan in general. It, great point about Michigan softball. Little hard to understand at 36 and six, and with the reputation and past success that that program has had, how they didn't get a host. Yeah. Right. I mean, come on. They've been to they've been to Oklahoma City a couple times in the last national 10 champ. Years. Right. I mean, how do they? How do you? I mean, to me, that's that's a complete kick at the Big Ten for not playing games outside the league. Because come on, that's a program everybody in the country knows is one of the top sixteen programs in the country, and they go thirty six and six, and you don't give them one of the sixteen hosting slots. That's that's silly. And to send them out west to take on a power in Washington. Is, yes. That's tough. That's a Did tough Did you see draw. the video of the Washington yeah. team walk out of the I room? I loved it. I loved it. Why are we sitting there faking, high-fiving, and applauding each other when they're not happy? They get, they got up and walked off. So, the Pac-12's not happy. The Pac-12 just did not like the results of the draw either. Yeah, not shocked. Not shocked at all, but that's unfortunately the hand that, that they were given. So it'll be interesting to see what, what happens there with the softball and obviously the baseball selection show here in just a couple of weeks so we'll we'll definitely have our eyes and ears on that we're gonna talk some uh, football here why not huh the gridiron wrapping up officially wrapping up college football this season with our fcs national championship down in frisco texas the south dakota state jackrabbits the sam houston state bearcats boy if you watch this you were in for a treat with how this thing finished Third and goal with 21 seconds left. Play clock down to five. Smith back to throw. Fires over the middle. And it is caught. It's a touchdown. A day pulls it in. And Sam Houston has the lead with 16 seconds left. And the Bearcats would end up holding on, Greg. 23-21 the final. They knock off the number one seed, South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Good football game. Good final drive. And, man, what a way to finish the year. 
Totally enjoyed that game. I watched most of it. They had an hour weather delay. They had lightning go through. The game started in a driving rainstorm. They played about a quarter and a half, and then they had lightning, so they had to send both teams to the locker rooms. And they basically did away with halftime because they they were down for an hour with about eight minutes to go in the second half. They had a three-minute break for halftime, and then they got the third quarter going. South Dakota State's starting quarterback, Ben, tore his ACL on like the fifth play of the game. So he was out. So they had to go with their backup quarterback. I, I got to believe that if their starting quarterback doesn't get hurt, they win that thing. Mm-hmm. But credit to Sam Houston State. They got the ball with about five minutes to go. They're down by four. They need a touchdown to win it. And then you heard Dave Pash's call there uh, with the touchdown with 16 seconds left to win it. It, it was fun. I, I was on the edge of my seat. I loved it. I, I was kicked back and watched that thing yesterday and had a great time. Absolutely. Good football game and good way to end. And congrats to Sam Houston State for uh, winning the national championship. All right, let's uh, talk some Major League Baseball that happened uh, over the weekend. Man, it has been a rough go for the Minnesota Twins this year. You can't tell by our buy-sell questions. Josh, a diehard Twins fan, and some frustration leaking over into that segment bi-weekly that we're having with the Minnesota Twins. Thankfully for him him on Saturday, uh, he was on the, the receiving end of one of those exciting wins. A high fly to right field. Back is Piscotti at the wall. It's gone! Soto delivers, and the Twins take the lead. And they would hold on to that lead as Minnesota beats Oakland 5-4. That was a 19-game homerless drought for Miguel Sano, who has loads of power but has just had a really tough start to the year, as has basically everybody on the entire Twins team. But they beat the A's. Five to four on Saturday. It hasn't been a good start for uh, the fighting Josh Ilkemans. They're getting rocked tonight. It's ten to one. They're down tonight. It, they they just have been miserable, and and they were kind of co favorites in that division with the White Sox, but they have just been awful to start this year. Bullpen's been terrible. Some of their main guys in the lineup aren't doing anything. It's been oh, it's been rough, big time rough. Uh, you mentioned the game tonight playing the White Sox, getting run off the field. First career home run for former Nebraska opponent Nick Madrigal. Unfortunately, uh, we saw him hit a few of those home runs against the Huskers when he was an Oregon State Beaver, but uh, had his first major league home run tonight for the Pale Hosers. So congrats to him. All right, uh, let's uh, recap some elsewhere what happened in the major leagues this weekend. Aaron Judge on an absolute tear right now. For the Yankees, who are dropping like flies, they have thrown Aaron Hicks and Giancarlo Stanton on the IL in the last couple of days, but Aaron Judge has four homers in the last three games. He's really hitting the ball well for New York, who are now 22-17 and 17 behind Boston in the AL East. The Braves and the Brewers had a really competitive series this weekend. The Braves win on Saturday. The Brewers win on Sunday, uh, but good, uh, good, good competition there between those two in the uh, NL Central and the NL East. What a finish it was at Coors Field between the Cincinnati Reds and the Colorado Rockies. This is how uh, what ended up being the game winner. Nick Castellanos will come up, leading off the Reds' 12th inning. Castellanos sends it to right. Winker can jog home. Castellanos, a run-scoring double. Castellanos gets the run-scoring double in the 12th. 
That's not the, the cool part or the fun part. Nick Castellanos high fives a fan, Greg, as he comes off the field. <laughs> He's handed the headset to do his postgame interview. He's like, nah, I'm good. And so he puts gives the headset to this Reds fan in Denver <laughs> at Coors Field, and the fan did his postgame interview for him. It was hilarious. That's Obviously great. a fine, probably a suspension coming. <laughs> but, man, he, Castellanos has turned into a, a bit of a favorite of mine with, with some of his antics. I did not see that. I'm glad you brought that up. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to go check it out. The fan, uh, let's just say, took a shot at Rob Manfred, and I don't think that's going to go over too well in the league office. So it is what it is. Seattle Mariners are an even 500 this year. You know, when you're th- talking about AL home run candidates, you're thinking of Mike Trout, you're thinking of Aaron Judge, you're thinking of some of these big boppers, maybe a Joey Gallo. I don't think Mitch Haniger was on very many people's minds this year through 40 games having the Major League home run lead, but yet here Who? he is. Mitch Haniger from the Seattle Mariners hit his 12th homer against the Indians this weekend. So, yeah, he's got an AL leading 12 bombs this year, so tip your cap to that guy. Trevor Bauer continues to dominate. They uh, they beat the Marlins 7-0. He, they just had two hits. Uh, seven shutouts, struck out 10. For Trevor Bauer, who is now four and two with an ERA of under two point two, so the sign is looking pretty good for LA. He has picked up right where he left off. So some of the uh, news and notes over the weekend: Shohei Otani had another big home run for the Angels. They're seventeen and twenty-two, but Shohei Otani has definitely you know proved to be one of the better players, one healthy in this league, and has been exciting all year long. The Padres beat the uh, Cardinals in Sunday Night Baseball last night. A final of five to three. So there's some new news and notes over Major League Baseball. The NBA wrapped up their regular season this last uh, night on Sunday. So we've got playoffs beginning this week. Uh, Isaiah Roby, one of the the only players you've ever heard of, uh, finishing the year for or finishing the year and the game for the Thunder yesterday, who ended up beating the Clippers. And uh, I think if Greg, I was watching this, a lot of eyes for me on. Uh, Nurkic yesterday from the Nuggets because we had a buy-sell question. If he wins the MVP, did he score? I think the line was 24. He scored 21 points in just 17 minutes yesterday for Denver. So he played 17 minutes and scored 21 points. The Nuggets do lose the game to the Blazers, 132 to 116. But man, what a line! I think that was Brett's question. Um, So great line. We'll we'll just—I mean, he, he may not win MVP. He should, but we'll find out. Um, when the the awards are handed out, if that is going to indeed, how about be the, the other case. guys? You know what the other fi- kind of finalists did? Um, let's see. I Steph don't. Steph had forty six. Dig it out for us. Okay, so Steph, if you if Steph, Steph gets is the definitely MVP. a thumbs up. He dropped forty six, and, and the scoring title this year, he just had an absolutely unbelievable season um, for. Uh, for Golden State. Speaking of Golden State, they'll battle the Lakers. How about that? In the play-in game on Wednesday night. Lakers beat the Pelicans 110-98. to But, yeah. That'll be phenomenal. I don't, I don't think Adam Silver's too thrilled for that to be the case, having, uh, you know, those two stars go at it in the in the play-in game on uh, Wednesday night. It's at the Staples Center. Lakers an early four-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. But Steph versus LeBron, that'll get some eyeballs, I think. Heck, yeah. So, that's some news and notes over the NBA. We'll have playoff coverage as we uh, approach Marv Albert announcing yeah. that once the playoffs are over, he's done stepping aside, man. That's a end of an era, right? I mean, he's just an absolute legend on the call. Is that some, I saw a Twitter video of like 
three minutes of his uh, yes, of his best calls. Pretty from cool. From downtown. Yeah. Bang. Yes. The Ray Allen three in the corner against the Spurs. Yeah, it's one of one of the better ones. I saw somebody tweeted the other day said, "What player do you think of when you hear Marv Albert calling basketball? What what comes to your mind?" Uh for, for me, I mean, it's Reggie Miller. I, I, yeah. R- Reggie Miller splashing all those three. It was probably the first time I really kind of got locked into Marv Albert calling NBA. He's had so many iconic calls, but I wasn't really into, into NBA too much as a kid. I mean, obviously, I watched the MJ Bulls, and, but I didn't know announcers when I was that age. Right. The two plays that immediately come to, to mind are the Ray Allen three in the corner, and with no regard for human life, LeBron James throws that dunk down. That might have been his rookie year for Cleveland. Those are the two iconic calls that I think of. When, uh, Curry, Curry's game winner, where he let out the yeah. double bang uh, yeah. from like 40 feet. That's another one that comes to mind. But, yeah, just what a legend. And so we've lost him, and that's a perfect segue into our next topic. Doc Emmerich for the National Hockey League, just, you know, right, right next to each other. Uh, they had their playoffs this weekend. In the uh, in the East first round, the Capitals beat the Bruins three to two on Saturday to take a one zero series lead in that one. Also in the East, you had the Islanders beat the Penguins; they're up one nil. The Wild beat Vegas one nil. Tampa Bay beats the Panthers. Of course, they did five to four to go up one nil in that series. And so the East and the Central are underway, and the West, I suppose, underway with the National Hockey League in playoffs. So we've got some playoff action coming for you on this segment. And now, have, go is, ahead. Tim, is Tim locked into the NHL again this, this year? Tim, is this your you're, uh, you're fired up now? <laughs> I think you can safely say I am not. They're uh, not in the bubble, so Tim's out. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> okay. All right, well, Tim's passed the NHL baton to somebody else, and uh, we'll see if they can pick up the slack there. But, yeah, we have hockey playoffs happening, which is always a good time of the year to get into the NHL. And what better way to finish than on the track in Baltimore, the Preakness. Some of us had more rooting interest than others, and this is how it finished. Midnight Bourbon grabs the lead from Medina Spirit, and they're stride for stride, and they're into the stretch. Medina Spirit fights on on the outside. Midnight Bourbon, Rob Bauer is rolling up to them. Coming by the eight pole, it is now Rombauer storming to the front, taking over from Midnight Bourbon. Medina Spirit has dropped back. Keep me in mind is fourth. Rombauer and Flavian Pratt win the Preakness. How many times did he practice saying Rombauer the night before, just in case he made a late charge, which, oh, by the way, he happened to do and win the race? Yeah, that, that horse was not the pick of many. You and I were watching that from our booth after we called the game on Saturday at Haymarket, and we're like, really? That horse is going to win? Because a lot of people like Midnight Bourbon. Who and, placed. And, and, and placed second. And then you had Medina Spirit, the Derby winner, got third. Um, Andy's pick for us was the other Baffert horse, and it finished like ninth out of ten horses. So it wasn't, Ouch. A, it wasn't a factor at all. But – a lot of the people on the pre-race picks were picking that horse, too. So, Andy yep. wasn't by himself. Hard to pick. the hard, That's why it's hard to pick horse racing. Sure is. Tip your cap to uh, Rumbauer for winning the uh, the old Preakness. So, yeah. What a what a time. What a good weekend. All kinds of things happening. Yeah. Good stuff. And the, the final leg of the Triple Crown will be in three weeks is when they will run the Belmont. And New York State today... 
announced that they're not letting Bob Baffert into their state until this investigation is complete. So he wasn't in Baltimore for the Preakness either. He sent his his number two guy to kind of manage the two horses he had in that field. Now he's not allowed to step foot in New York either. So times aren't real good for Bob Baffert right now. No, no. Things could be going better in his corner. Yeah, tough stuff. Back final few minutes of Sports Nightly here on a Monday night. Time for us all to name our weekend winners. Ben McLaughlin, you get the honors. Mentioned my weekend winner a little earlier in this hour. Tristan Edwards is my weekend winner. Chose to come back to Nebraska to take advantage of this last season and uh, capped off a great career, as I said in the weekend rewind, with how else? A home run. Uh, so pretty cool for her. And, you know, just an unbelievable run of, of Edwards's and that program, and that, that comes, sadly comes to an end. It put, puts a cap on some three very good careers. Cool. Tim? All right, how about, uh, well, we heard it in the rewind, but I got to give it to, hold on, I got to do the voice, Rambauer. <clears throat> I think I just tore something in my throat. Uh, for beating the cheater, Medina Spirit, uh, proving that once and for all cheaters never prosper. Uh, in the Preakness, springing 11-1 to upset, not bad, not bad at all. And now, of course, uh, looks like Medina Spirit's not going to be able to enter uh, Belmont because it did turn out they it tested positive for steroids after the derby. So, yeah, pretty pretty ugly stuff uh, in yeah. the world of horse racing. So uh, props to Rambauer for uh, for getting it done. It's a, it's a black eye on the sport that, that can't afford it. I mean, that, that, that sport's had some issues. Ben, we were watching the NBC coverage in the booth. They must have had, what, 10 of their commentators make their picks. Nobody picked Rambauer, oh, yeah. did they? I don't remember Nobody anybody picked picking Rambauer. Nope. Nobody wow. picked him. Crazy. Austin? Yeah, uh, Steph Curry is my weekend winner. I am a huge Steph fan, have been for a while. He wrapped up the NBA scoring title over the weekend, the second in his career. First time he won it was back in his unanimous MVP campaign back in 2015-16. Like I said, huge Steph guy, awesome to see him win it. Probably the only thing the Warriors are winning, the closest thing they're going to get to a title this year. But, man, I just love watching Steph Curry play basketball. So the more uh, positive reinforcement we can have for how Steph plays, I'm all for it. Who wins Wednesday? Man, I if, if LeBron plays, I think there's there's too much Los Angeles. But I will be pulling for Golden State again because of Steph. Is it is it single elimination? So like if the Lakers so, lose, are they out? No. What happens is that the seven and eight play, and the winner of that game gets the seven seed. Then the nine and the ten seeds play. Whoever wins that game plays the loser of the 7-8 game. Gotcha. And then the winner of that game is the new 8 seed. Gotcha. So single elimination I, for I, the I, 9 and 10, double elimination for the 7 and 8. Okay. I think, I think I've got that. <laughs> Trying to connect some dots here. My weekend winner is Maddie Harris. She's a freshman on the Nebraska track and field team. She won the Big Ten Outdoor Championships in the Javelin. And listen to this. She's a second-year athlete but competing for the first time collegiately outdoors because last year's outdoor season got banged because of COVID. She threw the Javelin 183.10 to win the event. She set a new personal record by more than 15 feet than her previous best row. So her previous best row was 168. She goes 183. She now has the second-best javelin throw in school history. She's sixth in the country with that mark, and so uh, she is now qualified to go to the Olympic trials because of that throw. So good for her. That's amazing that she was able to do that. So 
Good for Maddie Harris, a freshman on the Husker track and field squad. 15 feet, Ben. That's unbelievable. That's that's well done. Yeah, pat yourself on the back for that. That's that's unbelievable effort. Huskers have dominated the javelin on the women's side. They have now won the javelin five of the last seven Big Ten outdoor meets. And Maddie freshman just a fr- Maddie Harris just a freshman. She's going to be back for a while. That's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. Tomorrow night, it's Tuesday, Top 10 Tuesday headed your way. We'll also have all the day's headlines coming your way tomorrow night here on Sports Highly. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and to all of you. Enjoy the rest of your night. We're back here again tomorrow. Good night.